welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. Today, we have another awesome guest, Jonathan Farber. He's actually a repeat guest. He was on episode number 20 back all the way in September, which is about a year ago from almost today, which is just insane to see how much he's grown. And make sure you go back, listen to that episode. And then after you listen to this one, you'll be blown away with the progress that Jonathan has made. So without further ado, Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Bailey, thank you for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here. Just first off, we haven't connected in a while and coming back doing part two, but just seeing what you're doing, man, you're crushing it too. So <laughs> it's just a good excuse to get on the horn, man, but excited yeah, to be absolutely. here. Yeah, thanks, man. So catch us up to speed. Uh, like, like I said before, gave us the full background in previous episode, catch us up to speed of kind of the last couple months and where you're at now. Yeah, you guys got to all go right back. Pause it right now and go back to the first episode and then come back and we'll catch up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> basically, since last time, the, the long and short spiel on me is grew up in Long Island, wasn't interested in business, wasn't interested in real estate. I started playing golf when I was 13. Really funny story, which we could talk about another time, but picked it up, got kind of obsessed with that. I have one quality, which is, I guess, good in a lot of ways. I just get really like addict, addicted to stuff and I just go all in on it. Just want to take action at it. I don't need all the answers all the time, but enough to be comfortable and jump in. So for me, then it was golf. Thought that was going to be my path. Thought I was going to one day play professionally or at worst or minimum play enough and then be like a club pro somewhere. Uh, had a, a, a lot of reasons why I decided that wasn't going to be the case. And then ended up finding a couple mentors when I was in college who kind of started guiding me down more of the business path, money-making path. Uh, and that's kind of how I ended up leaving Long Island. I moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina and started at a corporate tech job doing sales. I was very into business and personal development, read lots of books and wanted to just make money and thought that that was going to be my path. And I just wanted to try to see what I could do and set some goals and all that. But at the same time, started investing in real estate, buying a rental or two on the side, got into all the bigger pocket strategies, house hacking, burr, creative financing, you know, Loved, loved everything about it. And from there, just started house hacking while I was down in Raleigh. And that kind of gave me the bug. And for me, then my goal had always been financial freedom by 30. That was like the thing that I had pinned. I wanted to see if that was possible. I didn't think that a job was secure. I looked at so many miserable people in the job that I had and just realized that that was not where I wanted to be. But at the same time, and this is something we talked about too, one of my favorite concepts and all this is I feel like a job is a great tool to then get what you want in real estate because you can get loans, you can meet people, you can raise money that if you're starting cold and you don't have a job, it's much harder to get off the ground. So for me, my, my kind of two plans along where I wanted to be financially free at a young age, but I wanted to use the job in order to get there and make money and then put it into real estate and live below my means for those years. So after doing some of those strategies, then bringing it home, super long story short, when COVID hit, I was living back in New York. I moved back for a field job with the company and I was really unhappy. I decided that I needed to just leave and then COVID hit, but I was going to leave anyway, but COVID changed everything for me and made the world virtual. So I just pretty much packed up, left New York, sold all my stuff, sort of became like a minimalist nomad, which is another funny concept we could talk about. Like 
my view of now like money and possessions completely flipped. But um, then from a high level, I looked at it like, okay, I have about a year because no one knew how long COVID was going to be. I have about a year to really turn the gas on. And my, my thought was I can maybe compress a five-year goal into a one-year goal where the world is sort of paused. People aren't making moves. People aren't getting loans. And I don't need to be in New York. So I moved to the Midwest for a couple months. I started networking, started looking at multifamily deals, started looking at wholesaling, started looking at Airbnb. And then ultimately the two paths that I picked that kind of doubled down on were wholesaling and Airbnb. And those were the two that then over the last 10 months just built up um, a business around the wholesaling and then some properties that really kind of came together nicely on the short-term rental stuff, the Airbnb stuff that were the ultimate, you know, like avenue out of the job and to become financially free and, you know, make enough that I could comfortably live without being, you know, employed. And then on the back end of that, I love systems. I love virtual assistants and kind of applying that to anything I do. I, I just find that to be like a fun part of the game. Yeah. So for me, like then implementing a lot of tools and systems and automation and virtual assistants um, into the business, just to see, you know, how we can do it in the best way possible, most efficient way possible. And so that I can, you know, play golf and travel and do whatever. So, you know, all that is kind of like where I think about it, my favorite book of all time for our work week. I love thinking about how to add that to real estate. And I know it's a little insane, but to me, it's just fun. I'm 27 and, you know, like I, I love the work. I want to work, but I also do like the concept of having quality of life and doing fun stuff and traveling and seeing stuff, you know, before I'm uh, in the ground. So that's Bailey, dude. It's so good to see you, man. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm done. <laughs> no, that, that was awesome. And, and tons of good, great things to unpack there. One thing that you said in particular about the job, you know, a W-2 job, it used to be my mindset that if you have, if you take a job, you are just a sucker and you're basically selling yourself for the hourly wage that the company's going to pay you. And you're basically saying, yep, I'm worth 20 bucks an hour, whatever it is. I still personally am not going to get a job out of college. And I, cause I, I don't know. I, I've always had this thing in my mind where I just, it's not my style. Mm -hmm. But like you said, and this was a complete mind shift, and you're actually one of the people that re really opened it up to me. If you actually use that job like you did, and you were able to leverage the loans that you were able to get from it, number one, because you had consistent income. Then two, you mentioned how you were able to, I guess, shorten the amount of work. No, you're doing the same amount of work, but in just a less period of time, you, you opened up more time in your day to focus on things you actually liked while still getting all the benefits from having the job. So just a, a different way to think of it. I, I thought of it as just like, either you have one or you don't, you're a sucker or you're not, but you, you definitely changed my mindset on it. I still don't really want one at all, but you, you showed that you can really benefit from it, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, anything to say on that? Yeah, I mean, just a couple of quick things on that one. You know, like one of my favorite people to just follow in business in general, Gary, Gary V. It's self-awareness. For me, I I have never been an awesome like number one self-starter. And like I've never performed that personally well on burn the boats. Um, in some cases I do, but everything is niche, but it's the self-awareness to know that. Like yeah it's not blanket statement for 7 billion. It's, I grew up in this area with these parents and this is my DNA. So I like to do one way or the other. And for me, I was never going to leave the. Here's another like kind of interesting thing. I was never going to leave the job. My, my thought was, I'm just going to wait till they fire me because why would I leave the job? You know, like I can 
get by. This is another fun little exercise for anyone listening to the show that has a job. This is the game you should play. As if someone had a gun to your family's head and you had to get all your work done in 10 hours a week, you will become very productive and you'll figure out how to do it and you can build up a side hustle. So like, but then again, Bailey, you're, you're a self-starter. You're going to be an entrepreneur. You know, you're a young guy that's, that's doing it and killing it. And you're already doing projects. I wasn't that way in college. I was a shithead in college. I was just looking to party and I had no direction, you know? So then I came onto it late, but yeah. And then the other thing, just like it, it's, for some people that want to do the self-starter strategies, you know, they I think just need to get educated. You know, we could talk about this too, but like syndicating, I used to think that's get rich quick. Most syndicators <laughs> make no money in their first three to five years. So like, yeah. you're not, you can't support yourself on fees doing syndication <laughs> as a complete beginner. I see these people, they do eight person JV splits, you know, from, I'm not going to say anyone's program, but I'm like, you're not making money. Like, dude, right. you got to make money. You got to support yourself. Like unit count isn't dollars in your bank account at the end of the day. So like, let's get real, but it starts with education and self-awareness. So yeah, that's yeah. okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. That's, that's all. No, it's, it's funny. Cause I think about, about a year ago, I'd say, I think we were both kind of looking at multifamily. I know I was, I think you mm-hmm. were as well. And I, I just felt like it was like, since it was COVID, it was like the online community. I felt like it was like everyone's in one. I thought felt like everyone wanted to be a syndicator. Um, and it was just, it was just funny. And then my realization changed when I actually like, I, I kind of heard the numbers of like, okay, what are you actually going to make from it? And then I was like, all right, I need, I need money. I, 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 I like long-term wealth and nothing's get rich quick, but I need quicker than a five-year refi <laughs> to, to make any money. It's insane. <laughs> what people are so misinformed on syndicating, yeah. but it's not their fault. It's the syndicator's fault who, you know, they're doing it for marketing purposes. Right. I own 7,000 units. Oh. I have a podcast too, Bailey. Now I ask, okay, what do you make every month? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, 1500 bucks. I'm like, pro what? <laughs> like, what are you saying? Like you own 0.0001% of nothing. Like, right. again, I'm not taking it away from anyone, but like, let's get it straight. This is a game to try to figure out how to make money and actually live a big life if you want it. So syndicating is amazing, but yes, it's get rich or well, super wealthy, very slow. So like right. you need, I think in my opinion, I wanted some stability or like I, I wanted a way to have money now and then start building towards that. I'm going to actually announce it today. This could be a good kind of a jump off point. I'm getting involved on my first big apartment deal today. I'm going to announce it on, on social media. I'm going to run a portion of, of a, a building, a syndication of 200 units with short-term rentals. I'm going to furnish them and it's operators that I met through the podcast. So like, I'm, I'm not opposed to, it. I don't want people to think like I'm not into syndicating, but it's just, I think getting educated and like learning what you learned when you went down the path. Yeah. That's super cool. By the way, I definitely want to hear more about that in the future. That's awesome. For sure. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Cool. So, so you mentioned that 30 was your age target for financial freedom. You hit it at 27. So first talk about what actually does it mean, at least for you, what, what does that financial freedom word mean? We'll start there. Okay. It's, I think about it from two ways. You have what you make and then what you spend and coming up with a number and they're, they're going to be kind of working towards each other. You know, this is sort of trite, but you can only save so much, you know, before it's like, what's the point of all this? But you can make as much as you want. There's no cap. So that part's cool. But basic financial freedom for me, and this another thing that I want to mention for like the people in corporate was the cost to cover my needs comfortably. I'm not talking about living, you know, on the, in a tent, I'm talking about having my food and travel and fun covered and just coming up with that number. 
And then whatever could come in either from a side hustle completely passively or fairly passively to cover that amount. And then if I want to do more active investing or kind of have more like responsibilities, then, okay, those can also be just because I like the game. Like I work now because I enjoy it. Like I want to build something bigger and I like having an audience and all that stuff. Like that's fun for me, but you know, that's financial freedom. And I think one thing people confuse a lot of times is they, they think financial freedom means their side hustle replaces their income. That's insane. If you wait till that's going to happen, just, just stop because you're going to never do it. But when you buy all your time back, if you get out of your job, you go from having 40 hours a week that you're working on something and then a side hustle that you maybe just became financially free. Watch what happens. Now that I have all my time back, I've added like five income streams because now I can hustle in all these other ways and start learning about entrepreneurship and business. But I couldn't do that before because I was dealing with a manager who's asking me to submit a forecast. So that is the difference here. But yes, financial freedom is just having your day-to-day needs covered from other income. It could be stocks. It could be real estate. It could be an online course. It could be anything that just basically covers you. And I look at it, I want it to be money that comes in if I'm asleep, if I have COVID and I'm sick, or if I'm hiking in Montana, I have no phone service like I was for the last you know week. So that's my definition of it. And then of course, from there, you can scale it. And you can add people into the business. You can add employees or virtual assistants or systems, and you can get to stage two or three. You know, there's financial independence and financial abundance. And then, you know, there's until you're flying on a private jet, you know, there's always <laughs> a way to kind of get to another level. But the most basic version of it is just having your needs met. And then you can do that with a lot of creative, like living styles to real estate, but also income that you can generate through real estate. Sweet. That's that's great explanation. And I want to talk about what streams you created to actually hit that financial uh, freedom. But first you mentioned the different levels. I'm curious, do you have a goal as to what level you want to hit next or any, you know, any, anything future with that? So this was July was the first <clears throat> month just from the properties I own with Airbnb. And then from the property that we're doing um, like arbitrage for, we hit 20,000 in net revenue or net wow. income. So that's right there and like enough. But for me, you know, I don't necessarily always think about it from like, what's my income goals. I like to think about it as like, what is my ideal lifestyle? And then come up with the number from there. I could probably live comfortably on that, but I actually want to just firm that up and make it more um, stable in the sense of like that money could go away. People could stop traveling or it could get more competitive or there could be regulations. So that's why I want to build up the wholesale business so that if it, let's say doubles, great. Or if the entire Airbnb business goes away, I could just back end that 20,000 with something else. But you know, like for me, as long as I can live like very comfortably in multiple areas, I don't have a number, but like, yeah, it would be cool to make over a million dollars a year. You know, if I made over a hundred thousand a month, um, that's a goal. Like I have maybe now before 30, but I don't like, I'm not dying to get to that. For me right now, it's more about like, I just like doing work that I really enjoy with people that I like and then working on, you know, like growing that and adding systems to it. And then, you know, like I really want to get back to honestly being good at golf again. I stunk <laughs> this summer. So like, that's another goal of mine, but yeah, a hundred thousand a month would be, would be a nice goal. You know, it's something to chase after. Right. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you hit a 27 and it sounds like Airbnb was, was that fair to say the biggest part of that? income. Okay. So let's, let's kind of dive into Airbnb. When, when did you first start? When did you buy your first Airbnb property? 
I bought it probably at the worst time ever, quote unquote, <laughs> which was the first was March 2020. So right when COVID was blowing wow. up and it was a property that I had been looking for for a long time. It's a tree house in North Carolina that I had been like obsessed with because I knew these did really well in North Carolina, but none of them would go for sale. And then when they did, they would go really quick, like same day, like 20 or 30,000 over. And it's not an expensive property. It's only like 150,000. So what I started doing was just reaching out to the units in that community that were for rent and asking them if they would ever consider selling. And um, that was how I picked up that first one. A, a person and an owner who had their property listed for rent. I came in that day and said, would you hear out a cash offer? And they said, yes. Or would you hear an offer for anyone listening? You could say that too. And um, they said, yes. And we went to contract and it was completely off market. And that was the first one. And then I remember like, as it closed, COVID was starting and everyone's saying Airbnb is going to be the worst thing ever. <laughs> so we pivoted to furnished monthly rentals, but we could still charge a much higher premium than traditional rents because they were furnished and because we were putting them on Airbnb and Furnish Finder. So we were still making about double the cash flow of a regular, but that was like my first exposure to it and first exposure to like furnished rentals. But from there, it was just like seeing the possibility and also in my head seeing where I think the future of like tenant leasing is going. And the fact that with Airbnb, the two or any furnished rentals like Furnish Finder, VRBO, like, or, you know, a direct booking platform, the two biggest problems were solved. And for me, that was finding qualified tenants and two, collecting money. So <laughs> those two problems are solved with these softwares, you know, like say what you want about any of them, but like, think about it as a landlord, those are the two biggest headaches. So right. that was like a light bulb moment that even if I was making the exact same, I'd rather use these sites because I don't have to deal with all the garbage. So from there, then I, we could talk about more, but then just made them the mission that while I still have the job, I was going to do as many of those as I could and buy bigger ones to house more people that could make more money. Got it. So back in March, that was your first one and you still were in your W-2, right? Yes, I was. Okay. So jumping into that first one, I guess, where did you get the knowledge to, to furnish it, to run the numbers? What was your knowledge then at the time? And how did you figure that out? I was obsessed and I actually <clears throat> hired him to then be my mentor. Another tip, like pay, I, I, you know, for me, if I want to learn something, I, I want to get around the people that are doing it and I don't mind paying for it. And I don't mind, you know, or, or trying to bring them value. Like when I tried to get connected with Joe Fairless, like I made a 10 minute video telling him about all the things I would do for him to cut his grass or whatever, you know, but this guy, like I couldn't even reach him, but I was like, I'll pay you. Um, but the channel that I really like on YouTube is called Airbnb Automated guy by the name of Sean Rakajich. And I'm, you know, in his mastermind, if anyone has any questions about that, or, you know, like wants a link to it, I could just send that. But anyway, um, I just watched tons of his content. It made sense. And he was making a lot of money and he put all the information out there. And then, you know, with his like mastermind and, you know, like educational stuff, then it just was like, how to, how do you set up the listing? How do you furnish it? How do you have templates dealing with guests? Like, I liked his approach of systematic instead of like, like mom and pop, no process type business. So he's very systems oriented. He has over 150 units wow. um, and he doesn't even own any. They're all Airbnb arbitrage. So anyway, uh, I didn't mind buying them because again, back to having the job and wanting to max out the debt for me, I was always you know able to generate money that I wanted to put into these. So that was like my biggest learning. And then um, another great one on YouTube, STRU. 
um, a guy, he used to run, um, I think a hedge fund in New York city. And now he's transitioned into like boutique hotels and Airbnbs. Awesome content, you know, puts out tons of stuff. And then, you know, from there, then just took action in like analyzing a couple deals every day, learning about the tools. I spent, you know, a little bit of money to buy the air DNA licenses for that state. And again, if anyone has any questions on that, I have a link for it too, for air DNA. Um, but yeah, like that's how I kind of got started and then just running the numbers and then speaking with other hosts and then finding people that could help me locally and then making offers. So, right. you know, looking back, it was clean of like anything at the, at the early stages. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but then you, you know, you develop a process. Right. And just a quick, quick question on that. Did you join that mastermind program before you bought the rental or after you bought the rental? I bought it. I joined that group actually after. Okay. So I don't remember exactly when, but it was probably like four or five months after. And I, I'd already bought two more and then I was buying one more and I just felt like I needed to get better at operations. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's, yeah. let's talk about that. And let's kind of go systematically for somebody who's just getting started in, uh, or, you know, someone interested in short-term rentals, Airbnb. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. So and like, yeah, let's do it step-by-step. Step. Yeah. So step-by-step, step, um, I guess, where, where, where do you start? I mean, someone's obviously interested. Maybe they hear your podcast or like 20,000 net. I, I want to do that. Okay. Where, where, where do they begin? Yeah, for sure. It's pretty cool. So you should, but um, basically you could do it one of two ways. You could do either destination markets or you can do maybe a, an urban market. That's a traditional rental and convert it into furnished or Airbnb. So we can kind of go down both paths. Um and again, like, I just want to make this as tactical as possible, Bailey. So jump in if I'm ever getting fluffy. But right. basically, um, for vacation rentals or second homes in destination markets, I think of it like this. One, is it a place that I like going? Two, what are the rental restrictions? Three, what is the time zone? So if those are time zone being my time zone or the rental restrictions good, and it's a place that I like going, and then I can validate that from like, going on Google travel. If you go on like Google flights or Google travel, then you could hit explore in a city, see if there's a lot of reviews on a place. That'll give you an idea if there's demand going there. And then you can do some research to kind of get a feel for, you know, like what is the drive to come into this city? Is it seasonal? Is it going to stay full the whole year? You know, like comparing a place like Asheville to maybe, you know, Topsail, North Carolina, you know, they're going to have different seasons, but one may be a little longer or one may have kind of a like Asheville, a ski season potentially. So it could stay full kind of more of the year. It just depends, you know, but air DNA is then what I would kind of use after that to, that's just a site that pulls information from actual listings in the area. You can get a lot from there for free, but then you can also pay for it. Um, and then from there, that'll kind of validate any research that I did before that of, does this area work? Do the numbers seem okay? Are people going there? And you can even search or type in property addresses and see what projected rev rental revenue could be. And yeah, it's got so many bells and whistles in there. And then from there, usually what I do is I'll literally just spend maybe like 30 to 60 minutes a day on Airbnb and VRBO, just basically like mapping out comps in the area and looking at their calendars and basically just coming up with like, you know, PLs for comps in the area, just to get an idea of how booked they actually are, how booked they are 30, 60, 90 days out. Um, and just, again, validating what I'm thinking about doing and also validating the price point that I'm thinking about buying for. One other quick thing I should have mentioned the front end, if you're buying, I would also be speaking to a lender 
literally on day one that you could find from bigger pockets or Facebook groups just to see what you could get pre-approved for. It doesn't make sense to do all this research to buy something. If you're only pre-approved for 300,000, you're looking in Gatlinburg at places that are 700,000. Right. It doesn't really work. So, okay, you're pre-approved, you know your number. That'll also tell you then when you're on, let's say um, Redfin and you're looking at what's on the market in that area, you can compare if what you can buy is anything like the top comps on Airbnb. Same finishes, same bed bath count, same size, all that sort of stuff, okay? And same amenities. And you can then see like, do we have a potential match here? And then from there, what I like to do, I actually start like to reach out to hosts in the area. I reach out to them directly. I reach out to property managers. I reach out to realtors. I reach out to other investors on like Facebook groups. And again, I start to then like, it's all about getting smarter, you know, but some of it you can do numbers driven. And then there's some of it that you can kind of touch and feel. I would do that. Talk to those people kind of get a sniff on what they're saying and thinking. And, you know, like almost I come up with interview scripts for all these. They don't know that, but I just, it's the same conversation. I don't want to have to rethink every time and, you know, just, okay. Oh, so the property isn't really staying booked on that side of the mountain, but the one that does on this one, it's closer to that restaurant that people like going to. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, but that one's in an HOA community that they're cracking down on this. Oh, okay. I don't like that. So that's, that's no good. I wouldn't do that. Oh, this one, their, their HOA sucks and they don't know how to manage septic wells. That's not cool. All right. But this one does you get smarter. That's stuff that AirDNA couldn't tell you, or that's something that even looking on Airbnb couldn't tell you. You need to hear that from people. And then from there, I usually would say go and stay in that market at two or three Airbnbs, which is a tax write-off. You're doing market research and talk to those hosts, go into the coffee shops, pick those people's brain. Hey, so are people coming here a lot? Like, is this tour, is this busy in the off season? Like what's going on here? Again, this is your money. You got to do research. This isn't just like pick a stock and then just like, you know, someone can do whatever. And the thing tanks, like you're active investing here. You're doing a little bit of research so that you can figure out a good place to park your money and do something that isn't that hard, but it's just different than working in a corporate job and just being told to do every day, but totally worth it. But anyway, so do a little bit of that. And then from there, it really just comes down to getting good at analyzing properties. I typically tell people you got to be analyzing like 30 to 40 deals before you even probably make an offer on one. If you don't do that, I would say you're being very risky and potentially going to overpay or not even know a good deal when you see one. Um, and then it comes down into the offer making. You know, I think for people that are serious, if they've done that research and they know their market, you got to have really good little um, search criteria set up on your listing sites. I like Redfin. And the second that a property hits the market, you know, like for me, my process was I would like all the good ones that came on, I would send them to my virtual assistant first thing, 6 a.m. when I got out of bed. By eight o'clock when I sat on my computer, they were analyzed. And then that day I would start making offers sight unseen or I would have a realtor go out and get videos that day and put a like time contingent offer on that property. Um, but then it just comes down to lead and lag measures, which is making offers every single week after you analyze a deal a day. So if you do analyze a deal a day and you make an offer a week, you'll get a deal done. But that's where people usually drop off because it gets a little scary. So that's, oh, and the cool part about that second home loans, it's 10% down at a crazy low interest rate. And the PMI drops off when you get to 20% equity, one of the best loans on the planet. And you can buy them even if you don't have a primary home. That's like the biggest question I get on TikTok. 
you don't, you can rent, you can live in your parents' basement and you can buy a second home. It does not matter. <laughs> yeah, Bailey, you should. So yeah. Okay. That's, I say like everything that like uh, comes to <clears throat> mind when I think of the destination market, second home property tried to be very tactical. If I wasn't, let me know, but that's high level. Then we could talk about the yeah. other, you know, suburban places, but that's second homes, destination ones. Okay. Got it. So just a, a small recap. So when you're first picking the market on the front end, at least my opinion, you should like the market. Like you said, you should want a vacation there. You should like it for some reason. Maybe you have some tie to it. Um, but then once, once you pick a market that you know and like, and you want to start analyzing it, you just have to get familiar with it. A lot of the things you mentioned, like talking to people in the market, looking at Airbnb, looking at Redfin, you're really just getting, you're really just getting familiar with the market so that you know, okay, a four bedroom house should sell for this much. Or if I'm going to buy a four bedroom house, this is what it should have. And this is how much I could actually make on this property and tools. You mentioned air DNA. Love that. Love that one. It costs like, it's like 40 bucks to 99 bucks, depending on how many zip codes you get. But I yeah. think it's super, super helpful. Have Bro, you found you got to do it. I mean, it's yeah. someone says they're, they don't want to spend money. That they're just not. Serious. Yeah. And the cool thing is it's not, at least from my understanding, it, it's actually pulling data from Airbnbs that are actually performing up and running. So it's not just some random algorithm that's saying, oh yeah, you're going to make a million bucks. It's actually showing you the seasonality, the average daily rates, which is super cool. Have, have you found from your properties or have you looked at AirDNA's uh, projections and then have you compared them to what you've actually done? Yes. And I know a lot of people would say AirDNA Air or a lot of like skeptics would say AirDNA is pumping their numbers. I actually found their numbers to be conservative. In most cases, Actually, every case we I beat AirDNA's numbers, and I don't say that like like beating my chest. I say that they're conservative. They're factoring in the good and the bad. They're putting out averages, and if you wanna like take time and get good at it, you can beat the averages. You know, most yeah. people are they stink. You know, like they don't run it professionally. They don't run it like a business. Exactly. It's just they throw it up. So if you actually turn it into like you know a focus and a priority, and you want to master it, you can. I would say for sure use the air DNA numbers as like your minimum or like what you would be a worst case scenario. Right. Because us and people who are listening uh, and what everyone should be doing is running it professionally, which a lot of people don't do. They just slap pictures on there and won't, you know, put sy like systems and processes around it and doesn't create the best experience. But if you do that and you know what to put in, you know how to furnish the place, you're going to be able to excel above those numbers, but it is cool that it has a nice, I guess range or idea gives you an idea of what you could do. Yeah, so sure. um, after you kind of dive into the market and obviously get pre-approved first, it's now time to buy the property. And now one thing I want to talk about is furnishing. And I know you mentioned you're doing a project where you're in charge of furnishing or you have that's a big role. So let's talk about the numbers, what someone should expect to furnish and dive, let's dive into the furnishings. Mm -hmm. This is a real thing that I don't see people talking about enough. And, um, I feel pretty good about our strategy with it. So, you know, like we've come up with furniture checklists, some that we pulled from other people, some that I just, you know, but it's also different based on where the property is. And some right. people design differently, you know, like if you're going for like modern boho in New York, <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, Midwest country, like in, in like the, like Montana, it's going to be very different. So right. there's a design aspect. I'm not so great at that, but you know, I'm trying to get better, but again, everything can be systematized. Everything's figure outable. So um, typically, but I would say a studio, 
you know, to finish it and decorate it and, and have multiple sets of things like we like to have, um, it's somewhere in the range of like three to 5,000. Um, for a four bedroom, I think you can get that done anywhere from 15 to 17,000. Really? For um, a four bedroom house? Yeah. Wow. That's so what I'm curious, what goes into that number for you? I mean, like, so, and it could go over just depending on yeah, like yeah. how nice it wants it. You want to make it, but I'm saying like, if you just want bare bones and then like, if you're yeah. willing, to, you know, not even willing to get creative, like that's, that's pretty bare bones. I would say 20 would be like conservative if you want to really deck everything out and have trinkets and not have to deal with like trying to find stuff on Facebook marketplace or right. you know, just not source it from like main <laughs> big box stores. But usually it's like 2000, two to 3000 a bedroom. And then, you know, a, a living room could be anywhere from like five to 6,000. Um, so, and then the kitchen, the kitchen has, you know, a lot of little like trinkets that could be anywhere from like three to 5,000 on itself, but it, you could do it for three pretty comfortably if, you know, yeah. just like kitchen table and, you know, like all the sets. And if there's any like, you know, um, like gadgets in the kitchen, stuff like that, or even if you have to put in any, um, any of the like appliances that's right. like depends that's why it's kind of a right, wide right. range but yeah i mean it can be done i mean most of the stuff that we're doing is from like you know bob's amazon and wayfair the bigger challenge is coordinating the deliveries and we're trying to do quick stand-ups but um the other trick with that that i tell people is like let's say you buy a property second home 10 percent down you know, so one, you're getting kind of a good deal there. Ooh, another really sneaky trick. You got to always ask for some of your closing costs paid, even if it means you pay higher on list, but then you get $3,000 credit towards closing. That's such a like, huge thing. People don't understand that by bringing less cash to close, your return is going to be so much better. It doesn't matter if you're amortizing that 3000, but if you're bringing less to close, it's a huge difference anyway. But then, so you're not bringing as much to close the deal. And then to actually buy the furniture, what I typically do or recommend for people, again, having a job helps this, is to open up a zero APR credit card for 18 months. So basically, you don't have to come out of pocket for the furniture. A lot of people don't really think about that. They get hit with a big furniture bill and they're kind of crushed, you know, because then they have to pay it back. Open up a new credit card, zero APR, and then you can pay it back with profits. And it's, you get the points too. You can then go travel and do whatever, you know, like if you find a card with a nice bonus. So that's how I think about it. Okay. No, that, that's totally fair. When you break it down my room, it makes sense. So do you use the same, I know you said, you know, if you're in Montana versus Florida, your furnishings are going to be different, but for your properties that you've had, do you typically order the same beds, the same sheets, the same everything? For the most part, like, and other than design, yes. So like TVs, that's not going to depend. Beds, bed frames, not going to depend. Kitchenware, not going to not going right. to depend. Um, tables, sometimes that's more decorative or depending on where it is in the country, there could be different demand or supply. Um, you know, so that could or couldn't depend. But like we go basic stuff. And then even like the design, like home goods, or like they can accommodate pretty much anything, like either do it locally or just pick up pictures on Amazon. That doesn't even have to be local. Like if you have a nice local design touch, that's cool. And you could probably just hire like a, a stager or like a, a local photographer that you could pay hourly and they'll do it. And I'd probably recommend that. And yeah, that could probably do it. But no, for the most part, we're using the same stuff in a lot of places and we just know what works. And if it doesn't, you know, we change it like this week, 
we were changing out all our locks from August to Schlage. I, I didn't like August from the beginning. We've had problems with them. Nothing that's crazy, just little annoyances. Like I don't want any like, like weak spots in the operation. I don't, I don't even want to ever get a text about this stuff. Like, no, like, so that popped up. It's an extra expense, but like, now we know, like that's going to be on our like furniture and like stand-up checklist, you know, with our ring doorbell, we're also going to have slage locks, you know, instead of August, just little tweaks, but right. yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty much the same, same stuff every time. Gotcha. Cool. And you mentioned you have lists for all these things. Is this something you give, you sell, or you have posted anywhere? Right now, um, I don't sell it. Maybe I will one day. Could be cool. We're just like, you know, another income stream. But right now, what I just have is um, all the links are set up as affiliate links. So, you know, if people buy the stuff, you know, I, I would appreciate it. You definitely don't yeah. have to. And you could say you could, you could do it actually intentionally not to help me. But um, <laughs> basically, you know, it's just if, if anyone doesn't know what affiliate marketing is, another great income stream. If you build an audience and then you have products that you recommend all the time, you can get an affiliate link for those and you get a percentage every time. Like that's really cool for someone that's trying to think, okay, what could be another income stream? So right now they're just that. And if people use those, you know, I could make a little, it's tiny by the way, you know, so don't think that if someone buys a TV that you recommend from Amazon, you're getting half, you're getting like <laughs> pennies, but it can add up if you have a big following and you're selling high ticket stuff. So yeah, um, yeah I, we could, we could um, put that in the show notes or I'll send it to you after. All right, cool. Very cool. I think there was something a couple months ago. I, I think you recommended it. I, I had, honestly have no idea what it was. It was on Amazon for sure. It might've been a book. Maybe a plunger. No, <laughs> there's a plunger. There's a plunger that we use in every property. It's the best plunger ever. Really? That's yeah. funny. That's I funny. don't know though. I don't remember. I have the worst memory. <laughs> so let's talk about the back half of the Airbnb, which is the operations. And that's a that's where a lot of the systems and process come into place. Cause you like you mentioned, you don't want to be getting messages about random stuff that you don't need messages about. So let's talk about I know you're big into software as well. So if you can kind of just dive into the management side, what you're doing, software, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, and this is going to be actually funny to think through. I'll do my best. But another thing that I recommend that everyone does is to come up with all your activities that you may or may not like doing and hire an assistant, hire either an executive assistant, administrative assistant. There's plenty of services or someone even from Upwork and train them to handle your email, handle your calendar, handle like like anything that is on a screen. So some of this, like I've handed off and like, I'm, I'm not even as close to it anymore to like give the the specs, but the, some of the softwares and tools we're using like Price Labs, Smart BNB. And then there's another tool that we're using. I can't think of it, but those two basically are a good way to figure out pricing and then also messaging. Um, and they're always adding more features, but between those two, you can um, do a lot of little like automated things with guests and just making sure that your place is priced right. And also that your calendars are synced if you have your place on multiple places so that you're not getting double bookings. Um, and then the other thing, anyway, yeah, those, those are the main ones. But like even within Airbnb, there's a bunch of tools that we play around with like um, pricing sets if people stay longer or they stay during certain days of the week, you know, if there's discounts or just ways that we can kind of like entice people to kind of align with our calendar strategy so that, right. you know, it's not leaving days open. Um, and then also, you know, like we're trying to encourage people to stay for longer, you know, so that sort of stuff. But basically there's a bookkeeper that every week will review the numbers for the property, pay $12 an hour found on Upwork. So like, again, I'm not good with numbers. 
and then she'll coordinate with Claire, who's kind of now more of like the COO of MMTR, more or less my executive assistant. And she's managing kind of like the day-to-day of the properties, guest messaging, pricing, if a handy person needs something, supplies and inventory. Um, but basically then, yeah, she'll also coordinate with the cleaners. Every time a cleaner goes through, they take pictures of the units. They go through our checklist that we give them. And then they kind of report back to us if something is wrong, they help file the claim. They'll work with Claire to get the claim done that day and everything is documented. I'm not involved in that. And it's just, you know, like, here's something that I I heard and learned from Michael Hyatt, that everything you do needs to be documented. It needs to be put into a checklist process. You You could read checklist manifesto. You could read all the productivity books. You have to know what you're doing so that it can be either handed off to someone or repeated. So for us, Every time we do something more than once, we just put it into a process in Notion. That's a tool that I use all the time. And we just give it to someone. And it could be it could be Airbnb or it could be how I want people to handle my email. I don't want to be, I go on email once a day. I don't want to be in my email. Like, no, <laughs> someone else can handle that for me and do all my scheduling and podcast appearances. Bailey, I didn't even know we were on today. I literally <laughs> just looked at the calendar, this brief that I get every morning. It's like, cool, we're catching up. Like, I don't, you know, and then I'm playing golf later today. Like. It's just, you got like repetitive tasks are not cool. Like, yeah. so anyway, yeah. No, I love it. Love it. So clearly you got a lot of systems and processes in place and a team around you to help you with that as well that you've developed, which is awesome. So just for time's sake, I want to move on to what you're doing now and, and social media. Is there any last thing you want to mention about Airbnb or uh, short-term rentals before we move on? Um, if someone doesn't have any money, they can do co-hosting or Airbnb arbitrage. And those are those are cool ways to get into the game. And you don't need 10% down for a second home, or you don't even have to do all the learning on like creative financing. But those are those are ways that people, you know, like this is a good segue into TikTok and social media too. Like the comments I get all the time now are like, okay, like step one, have 500,000. I'm like, bro, I started working at a grocery store. I don't, I didn't come from money, man. Like my parents think I'm insane. So anyway, like there's, there's a creative ways or low money down ways that if you spend time on YouTube or bigger pockets or Facebook groups or reach out, you know, like that you can get into the game, you know, and then the systems and stuff, you can, you could hire a management company or you could learn it yourself. But like, this is something we say all the time. It's kind of like our internal mantra. Everything is figure outable if you just want to figure it out, it's been done before. This isn't right. like cancer. So, you know, okay, I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So now moving into what you're doing now and mm-hmm. just for time's sake, I want to just, fo- I know you're doing a lot of cool things, but I want to just focus in on the social media aspect of things. Cause we were talking TikTok. about TikTok, We were talking about all these platforms, but let's, let's dive into TikTok. I know you've blown up. You told me you, the numbers that you started in July to where you are now, what were those what were those numbers well i wasn't taking it seriously but i think i at the first week of july i had 500 followers like 490 and i just checked this morning it's like thirty-one thousand, which is so insane it's like three weeks <laughs> eh, like two two weeks of just going hard but yeah, yeah we could we'll dig into it so so why why tiktok why go hard on tiktok and yeah we'll start there why tiktok and, and why even try to go hard and what what, what does that look like Okay, so an early mentor of mine used to talk about um, money and, and power aren't like the thing anymore. You need attention. 
you need like, like money and opportunity will follow attention. You can meet cooler people, you can do different deals, you can raise more money, but you need attention. You don't have the time to get to know everyone, but there's enough time for you to use these tools to amplify your brand and message so that more people can know you. So he's like, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. If you're going to get into the world of money raising or selling products or, or literally anything or helping more people, like you can help more people if you have a bigger audience or reach. Most people don't, I didn't think that way for a long time either. It was like, oh no, don't go on social media because you know, you might say something stupid or embarrass yourself or whatever. Bullshit. Like I have imposter syndrome too. And I get embarrassed sometimes and it's totally normal. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just been such an amazing way to meet people and get the message out. And I, like I mentioned before that 200 unit deal that I'm probably going to raise money on, you know, and do Airbnb and like a lot of people have been reaching out about asking to put money into deals. I don't have deals typically before that to put money into. And for me, you know, after sort of becoming, you know, like out of the corporate world and having a lot more of my time, I was asking myself, like, how do I help more people? What is a path to kind of fulfillment, which is a weird question because then everyone's like, oh, just make more money. Well, I had the money I wanted, but I wasn't like, I was like, what do I do next? So this has been kind of a cool way. And kind of back to the first, first thing I mentioned, like when I do something, I just go hard, you know, like I want to, I want to try to like, you know, do, do it in a big way. So I don't know. I've just been posting a lot and also why TikTok, the growth there is ridiculous. Like Instagram, I'm not so great at like taking pictures and like, I'm not that creative. It's also very hard to grow there. So for me, I've been doing more on LinkedIn and TikTok. Those to me seem like the biggest bang for your buck of just posting good content and watch what happens. And right. a lot of times cool stuff happens. So um, that's kind of been a strategy. And I will say for other people, there's like someone out there listening right now to what you know, that you could probably help if you started making content, you know, or help them get their first deal. But because we think, Oh no, I'm not this yet. When I'm this, I'll start making content. Then you don't, and you never flex that muscle and don't. So like, yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Have you seen a lot of your TikTok followers flow into your either Instagram or your other socials too, or not yeah. necessarily? So probably picked up like in the last week, maybe like 800 Instagram followers. And then on YouTube, and again, now let's talk about income streams too. You, you really can't make a lot of money on TikTok per se. You can always do product launches and sell stuff, you know, but it's not a big money maker. You could always do partnerships or like, like, you know, have a sponsor again, not a huge money maker on TikTok. but if you do those things, you can, but if you get people onto YouTube, YouTube AdSense for people in real estate and finance, which is just like ad revenue, it's really strong. So it's probably one of the best ways to make passive income, or it can funnel people to the podcast where we have podcast sponsors and they want to see more downloads. So that's a way to, yes, for sure. To answer your question. Um, it has been, a cool way to get people connected to that and the Facebook group and the podcast, um, which those can be monetized just then more than TikTok. Got it. Okay. So there's a lot of, I mean, I, I just started on TikTok probably three, two weeks ago, three weeks yep. ago. And right now where I'm at 40, 40 followers, Let's go. I've gotten like 160 likes. I posted probably, I would say, I want to say 20 posts but it can't give that fact as fact and I'm, I'm getting basically around anywhere between i'd say 150 on average views and then some of my ones that blow up for me are like 500 600 so Solid. talk to me and others who are either just starting out on tiktok 
Um, what could I do? What did you do to really accelerate your growth? Bailey, I got you, dude. Trust me. <laughs> you do this and you you could pop. Okay. How old are you again? Uh, 21. Okay. And you just, what was the last project you just did? The Airbnb um, that we just launched. Okay. Perfect, man. That is beyond ammo right there. And, and just from that and, and knowing you do, you do a podcast, you're very well networked right there is 500 pieces of content. Okay. Like wow. I know that sounds hilarious and people might roll their eyes at it, but Hey, whatever, you know, but I'm saying Bailey, you have a story that most people would be amazed by. Okay. You may not think it. Cause you're like, I'm just Bailey Kramer. <laughs> you're 21. You're still in college. Okay. Most people in college, literally the only thing that matters to them is the next day that they're going out and getting drunk. Okay. And like, right. whatever, do what makes you happy. But like, there's not that many 21, 21 year olds that just did their first investment property and have a successful podcast. So people on TikTok, what I find, they want the straight to it. They want the numbers. They want the details. They want to know your story. So if you kind of just created content around, Hey, I'm a 21 real estate investor, 21 year old real estate investor. I just did my first deal. Here's how I did it. And just talking to the camera. One other little tip for, for TikTok: quick cuts, not like run on sentences. People seem to, well, we all do have a very low attention span. So the quicker the cuts, the better put a little bit of background music on it and watch what happens, man. You don't have to do pop-ups and graphics, whatever. There's a, there's a closed caption subtitle box. If you just click it, it'll do the work for you. And then it's just about being really like consistent and repetitive and not having, you know, like fear of judgment and imposter syndrome. Like on that one Airbnb, there are 50 things that you could make a little 20 second blurb about. Here's what happened with our first guest on Airbnb. I'm 21 years old and I just started my first Airbnb property. And here is the <laughs> first guest. Let me tell you what happened. Dude, you know how many people want to know about that? Yeah. Or I'm 21 years old. I'm still in college. Here's how I put the financing together for my first real estate deal. Dude, people are going to click and watch because it's different. You're, you're like, again, you may not think about it, but it's impressive what you've done. So yeah. people want to know. People want to know the details. They want to know short, sweet, less than 30 seconds. And then from there, it's just about cranking and just putting out a lot. Like, for me too now, like I was doing two YouTube videos a week. I sucked. It's the most awkward, uncomfortable thing ever. I got better. I hired a coach. I got a teleprompter and I still suck, but that's okay. <laughs> it's great. Cause in a year I'm going to look back and be like, he sucked, but he's so much better now. You know? So it's like, anyway, that, that would be the formula. And then one last quick tip on TikTok: as you're scrolling, just bookmark videos that you think you could add your version of or that are doing really well and you could add your spin on with a trend. That's the easiest way. I'm not creative, but if I see someone else that just did something about stocks and it's doing really well and like they used kind of this theme, I'll come up with my themed version of that for real estate. So like you don't have to reinvent, you don't have to be funny, you don't have to dance, but yeah. And then on LinkedIn, that's the other thing. Like just if I have a blurb idea, I just put it out as a post and then I just like and comment on other people's kind of like gets them kind of like thinking about me. And then you know, they'll check out the content. LinkedIn's been, been, you know, going well. So, um, yeah, that's right, high cool. level. I appreciate the, I appreciate yeah. the feedback. It's, it's weird. I, like whenever I've always, I don't know, whenever I'm doing something, it just feels normal because I'm doing it. But then I guess like, if you asked me six months ago, could you, did you imagine owning an Airbnb? I'd probably be like, no. So like that, it's always been my thing to own it. But now that I own it, I'm just like, 
all right, I want to, I want to get another one over here. And I never really, I never really live in the moment and, and think about it and, and share it to the fullest, I guess. Bailey, before I created that course on how to podcast, my light bulb moment was I got on a phone with a woman who I was sharing my screen with. I was showing her how to do podcast. She's like, what's that thing on your screen with the lines? I'm like a spreadsheet. She's like, yeah, I've never seen that before. So we got to forget we got to remember that people have no idea what like we've done. And, you know, like we just think it's normal because that's the only people we talk to. There's 400 million people in the country that have no clue about any of this stuff. So like, it's just one level out though. So we got to remember that. Right. All right. So I I pretty much know all that I need right now to at least get some nice growth going on TikTok. So it's all now, now that I have all the, you know, I, I, had some before I could have, I could have been doing better, but now that I really have the top knowledge that I've been received, I'm going to be going hard on TikTok. And today is what July 27th. So it, I'll, I'll make a note later to see maybe in a month from now, it'd be August 27th, just where I am, what I've been doing. That, that, that'll be an interesting marker. And, and you've obviously been a, you'll, you'll be, you'll be a big help in that. So that'd be kind of cool to look back on. I'm here for you, man. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So uh, for time's sake, I know we're kind of running out of time here. So we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four. And this is where I ask all of my guests the same four questions. So Jonathan, number one, what's your number one habit for success? Um, an active networking habit of reaching out to people anytime I'm stuck or paying people anytime I don't know the answer. Like today, I just was having more like bookkeeping questions and I don't, I didn't get a bookkeeping degree. So I went on Upwork and I hired a a QuickBooks consultant and now they're going to be coaching me on that. So get help. Cool. Love it. Question number two, limiting beliefs, our thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life? Um, that I needed to know all the answers before doing things and that making big money and actually running some business, you know, you needed to go to a certain school or come from certain connections. Not at all. Everyone was a beginner once and you can learn it and you can get around the right people that'll help you learn it faster. Love it. So true. Mm -hmm. Question number three, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? That could be business, personal, whatever. I think I'll be running a bigger company, but I think most of it'll be, you know, kind of run day to day without me. Um, and I think I'll be traveling, you know, I'll, I'll live a quarter a year in a different part of the world. And um, I'd like to have a family. I'm single right now. That would be cool. Or at least a wife or a girlfriend to like travel with and see this stuff with. Um, and just, you know, like I, I'd love to get to a point where, I can run that on my own, be in a more comfortable lifestyle and just like help a lot more people get started. Um, but yeah, I think for me that, that like the lifestyle part of it, I'll be living in different parts of the world and uh, having a big business that can run on its own. Super cool. Love it. Mm-hmm. So question number four, you left a lot of golden nuggets on this, but is there any last message you want to leave to the listeners? Um, the biggest life hack is finding a mentor. You can cut down a 10 year path by finding a mentor by either paying them or if you just, I have, I have a TikTok about this. I got a YouTube video about it, how you can find a mentor without paying any money by bringing them value. And I'm not, I'll, I'll, you guys got to go check out the ways, but like check out the the TikToks or check out the YouTube videos. Like 
there are a ton of ways that you can bring someone free value and bypass the cost of mentorship. But yeah, mentors are the hack. Mentors will change your entire life or changing your circle. Um, yeah. It's like just uh, people don't even understand how important it is. I didn't, but yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Totally agree with you. And that's something that's helped me a lot as well. So that's huge. The, the last thing is, Jonathan, where can the listeners get a hold of you? Just DM me or, or check out any social media, um, J-O-N-J-F-A-R-B. Um, right now, probably TikTok or Instagram would be like the biggest ones, but also we run a Facebook group called Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate, which is based on a podcast that we do called Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate. So if you check any of those out um, and you drop me a comment or a message on any of those, um, they will be seen and replied to. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jonathan, it was amazing to have you back on for part number two. Crazy catching up with you. It's been a while, but so awesome to see and hear firsthand what you're doing, what you're up to, and all the crazy, awesome things you're going to be doing in the future. So thanks again for coming on. Bailey, you the man. I'll talk to you later, man. I got to run. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.